Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. That may sound familiar because where were we Sunday morning? Matthew chapter 4. In fact, the passage tonight is the same passage as Sunday. Do you think it's a little bit strange that we, I mean, we didn't, I didn't plan this at all, that all of a sudden lesson 8 is this and all of a sudden Sunday morning was this? So it's possible that we need this for some reason, if God's going to give it to us twice in one week. We're, we're going to talk about a little bit different things, but it's going to be neat. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 4, we're continuing to look at angels and demons. It's a, I think it's a great study. We're looking at spirit beings created by God, and as we've said many, many times, they're all over the Bible. We find two big groups, and if you want to write it down, two big groups. First of all, there's what? Good what? Good angels. They serve God and man, okay? So good angels who serve God and man, and then there's what? Bad angels who oppose God and man. And, that, and that's what we've been seeing. That's all the way through the Bible. And, you know, I think it's amazing that uh, you, uh, you probably remember, and probably most of you who are in this class, how did, how, did, um, how did the passage end Sunday morning? Do you remember? It ended with what? When Jesus said, be gone, Satan, and Satan left. And then what happened? Angels. angels. I bet every one of you went, angels. Oh, we remember that's what angels do, right? The good angels ministered to Jesus. Let me ask you this question. What was it really? Okay, let me ask you this. What do you think they did? This is just a question. I think, yeah. they, they said, we got some bread. He went good. It's not a rock, is it? No, I, don't, <laughs> I want to make sure it's not a rock. Cause, uh, so it's pretty neat when you think about that. Uh, huh? A casserole. Brought a casserole. Yeah, was, they had a potluck at the church, and then they brought an extra one over. Okay, in our first lesson, our lessons, we saw the good angels and their creation and their to serve God and their messengers and they serve mankind, both believers and unbelievers. But then in these last lessons, we turn to what we call the dark side, which is Satan and the demons. And I just don't think we ought to ever play around with who they are and make fun in that sense because they are so, especially Satan, he is so evil. We, we just can't imagine it. And so we've seen his creation. We've seen his fall. Why did he fall? He wanted to be like God. It was pride. We've seen his sinfulness. We've seen some of his names. Give me some of his names. Lucifer. The Destroyer. Tempter, exactly. Yeah, Prince of Power of the Air. The Tempter. You know, just the dragon of old. I mean, that's who he is. And then we saw some of his positions, the ruler of the age, the ruler of this world. We've seen some of his activities. He's the accuser of the brother and all of those things. We've been focusing on him, and, and we know that he opposes both God and man. Well, in our last lesson, we actually saw his opposition to God, to God the Father. He has that counterfeit system. I, I think it's really amazing when you look at it that Satan doesn't want to be opposite of God. He wants to be what? Just like God. I mean, that's the thing. And so we saw his relationship really with Jesus and, and the thing about trying to stop uh, Jesus from going to the cross. And, and we talked about this last week. Jesus gained victory over Satan on the what? On the cross. And we said that in all of history, in all of history, everything from Old Testament beginning with Adam and Eve all the way up in the New Testament, looking back, everything goes to this right here. Because the seed of woman, which is who? Jesus, and the seed of the serpent, which is Satan, that's a cosmic battle. And Satan says, I cannot have people being saved. And the only way they can be saved is if there's a payment for sin, if, if all of that happens, and then they come to God by faith. And so, basically, you can have all these people believe, believe in the coming of Messiah, believe in the coming of Messiah, but if the Messiah doesn't come and die and pay for sin, guess what? You got nothing. So the greatest event of all time is the cross. That's why Paul says that I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The whole point of everything goes back to Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. And so we said Jesus gained victory over Satan on the cross. Let me read you the verses that we looked at last week. Just if you wanted to write there, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. We saw this last week. But it says, Having, talking about Jesus, canceled out the certificate of debt, of debt consisting of the decrees against us. What is the certificate of debt that were consisted of decrees? What is that? What is that? What is it? It's the law, isn't it? Isn't it? What does the law say? Thou shalt what? Let me ask you this. Anybody know the Ten Commandments? Give me one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, let's don't, we don't kill, we don't lie, we don't steal, 
We don't, we don't covet. We don't commit adultery. We, no we honor our mother and father. Yeah. We have no other gods. We don't take the Lord's name in vain. How many of you have done any of these? I've done every one of them. You said, well, you murdered? Well, we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you hate somebody, that's the same as what? Murder. If you've ever lusted at somebody, that's the same as adultery. If, if, if you've ever coveted something, you know, basically coveting, saying, I want what you got, you know? And so that, that's the law. And the law says, you what? The soul that sins shall die. That's what it says. And so it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, is against us, which was hostile to us. Listen, anytime you put somebody under law, what are they going to do? They're going to break the law. Do not look through this hole. You walk by, it says, do not look through this hole. You're going to go, nobody telling me I can't look through a hole. I'm going to look through a hole. Right? Law makes you sin. Do you understand that? Romans says to us in Romans chapters 3, 4, 5, that, every, the law causes you to sin. That's why when we have the Christian life, and the Christian life is not lived by law, lived by grace, is lived by faith, is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. So law, the Christian life is not lived by law. And that's why when people put themselves under legalistic systems, they sin all the time because they've made themselves sin. You can't smoke, you can't dance, you can't go to these movies, you can't play cards, you can't wear these certain clothes, you can't just put themselves under a legalistic system. And what do people do? They break it. So that, that was so having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, taken all our sins and put it where? Having nailed it to the cross. Then it says, when he had disarmed rulers, authorities. What rulers and what are rulers and authorities? Who are they? Angels. That's the rulers and authorities. Will you not wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against rulers, against authorities, against wickedness in heavenly places? That's who they are. And he made, and he triumphed over them, a public display, having triumphed over them through him, through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the victory. That's why this is the most important event of all time right there. This is it. This is it. What? I don't, don't look at my word. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. V-I-C. Uh, okay, doesn't matter. Oh, is it? Okay. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Okay, dyslexic person. Okay, anyway, that's the best I can do. But that's the victory, is it not? It's the greatest victory of all time. It's the one that changes everything that ever has happened. The promise was here, but the promise was fulfilled here. And that's the key. Jesus gained victory over Satan on the cross. Now, tonight, we're going to look at two things. Two things, okay? Number one. We're going to see Satan trying to stop Jesus, and we're going to see the key way that he tried to stop him, and that's the temptation. Now, we know that there are all kind of different ways that he tried throughout history, but we're going to emphasize the temptation. We saw it Sunday morning. We won't go, we might go in a little bit, we might look at it a little differently, but we want you to see that. And then number two, we're going to see Satan's opposition to man both believers and unbelievers. And we, we will just get into that just a little bit tonight. And when we come back from after the break, when we come back, we're going to really highlight what he does with unbelievers, what he does with believers. And I think some of it might surprise you a little bit. I'm, I'm really anxious to get to uh, like lessons 11, 12, and 13, especially 12 and 13, because we're going to deal with demons then, and we're going to deal with the occult, and we're going to deal with all the stuff that's going on. And it's live in our world today. I mean, do you remember that uh, it was, what, a week ago that a group of witches in, was it New York, was going to put a hex on, on Kavanaugh, on Kavanaugh, right? And see, everybody's laughing, like, oh, I put a hex. You, you think that's not demonic? These uh, girls, girls, 10 and 11 years old, watched a whole bunch of horror movies, made a pact to kill, to kill basically they were going to kill themselves so they would go be with Satan. Let me tell you, things like Ouija boards, and all that Dungeons and Dragons and seances and palm reading and all that mess and Wiccan and witches, it's not anything to be played with. That's why horoscope, that's why in the Old Testament, God said stay away from mediums, witches, anything to do with, because it's an occult. And it's a way that Satan can, for unbelievers, possess them, for believers, influence them. 
So we'll talk about that when we get to lessons, basically 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. Okay, so we're going to see two things. Satan trying to protect, trying to stop Jesus, the temptation, and Satan's opposition to both men, believers and unbelievers. So let's begin. When Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the worst time. Okay. And it was the what? Best time. You remember, what, what is it? Tell the two cities it was the best of times and the worst of times. Well, how, how is it when Jesus died on the cross it was the worst time? Because why? Because Satan is bruising Jesus and he's dying. He's suffering. He's being separated from the Father. Had Jesus ever not been in fellowship with the Father? What did he say on the cross? My God, my God. Why did he say, my God, my God? My God the Father, my God the Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? This is the only time in ever history he was ever forsaken. The only time he was ever separated. This is the worst time ever because the Son of God is dying for the Father, falsely accused, dying as a criminal. Okay, that's the worst of time. But it is what? The best time because the Son of God is dying on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind as the final sacrifice for sin forever. So when we think of this right here, it was Satan bruising his heel. It is Jesus bruising his head. But, you know, you can, it's the same word. So anyway, that, that's, that's why it's so vital. The best of times, the worst of times. That day, religious leaders made fun of him, didn't they? This is that one we were thinking about. That day, religious leaders made fun of him and they rejected him. Then, by the way, if you, if you read, I did this one time in my, in my grow group. I read something, and, the, and, and it said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then another part said, They have pierced my hands and feet. It says, I am surrounded by the dogs. My tongue clings to my mouth. And I asked the girl group, I said, Who, what is this? And they all said, That's Jesus on the cross. I said, Did Jesus say that? They said, Well, he said some of that. That's actually Psalm 22 written by David a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. That's prophecy. That's Jesus. Psalm 22 is David writing, but it's what Jesus says and what happens to Jesus on the cross. So all of this stuff is looking forward to that special event. And so when Jesus is on the cross, the religious leaders, in fact, that passage, that's what I was going to say, in that passage of Psalm 22, it says they wag their heads at me. You know what that means? It means make faces. It means they were standing down there making faces at Jesus when he's on the cross. And what did they say to him? If you're the Son of God, do what? Come down. Come down. And they missed the point. He cannot come down because he is the Son of God who is paying for the sins. He saved us by not saving himself. The greatest event in history is the seed of woman crushing the Satan and saving mankind. So Satan could not stop God's plan. And, and if you got on your hand out there, why couldn't Jesus come down from the cross? Because he's paying for our sins and he can't. Satan had tried to stop him. And you don't have to write anything down there, but we've already talked about it. How did he try to stop him in Genesis chapter 6, in the book of in, uh, Exodus in Egypt, in the book of Esther, Herod killing the little boy babies, Peter the, not coming down from the cross. All of those things were ways that Satan would have liked to stop Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. When you look at modern history, and let's say modern history from the, the 19, start of 1900, what's the, I mean, 1900 was filled. The 1900s were filled with what? War. Wars. Wars. Major, world war, two world wars, right? Two world wars. World War I, World War II, then Korean War, World War that, and then you, you had some other th things in there and you had the Gulf Wars, you had all this stuff. When you think of the wars in, in the 1900s, what do you think about, does anything stand out, especially in World War II? Okay, well, I mean, that that's ended the war, yeah. Huh? Okay, Germany and what? The Holocaust. Who is God's chosen people? Did the Egyptians want to eliminate the Jews? Did, es, did Haman want to eliminate the Jews? Did Herod, like, would he like to have killed everyone, those little Jew boys, and, 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 and not have a Messiah, right? See, God's chosen people have always, always been persecuted. Always. And there's always been a, try, a plan to stop 
Jesus. Uh, that, that's the plan, but it never works. Well, now we're going to see, I think, the, the key one. The key one, and Jesus, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Jesus is now about to begin his ministry, and this is the temptation. Jesus has been baptized, and he's, he's going into the wilderness. So make sure you're at uh, Matthew chapter 4, and I want you to see two things. And we talked about it Sunday morning, so this is just a good review for you. It's amazing I put these studies together at way at different times. Uh, but but the passage is the same. But two things I want you to think about about the temptation. Number one, this this is part of God's plan, right? So write God's plan. How do we know it's God's plan? What does chapter 4, verse 1 say? Who led him into the wilderness? Okay, so is, that, is that God? So did God lead Jesus into the... So let's say God the Spirit led God the Son into the wilderness. So is that God's plan? You know what this plan is? To show that Jesus Christ cannot sin. That's what it's about. Okay? To show that he cannot sin. The number two there is this is Satan's plan. What's Satan's plan? Okay, and, and how in the world is he going to make Jesus sin? Do, let me ask you this question. I want you to think about something just for a second. And I'll go through this real fast. Here we are, right? This is us. And as an unbeliever, you have a body, you have a soul, you have a conscience, and you have a flesh. Is that true? You have a soul which relates to the world around you. You have a conscience which tells you right from wrong. In fact, the law is written in on your conscience, your heart, and you have a bent, a natural bent to sin. Then you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're born again. You now have a human spirit which is the part that's born again, you're now spiritually alive, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Okay, let's picture Jesus born into this world. Did he have a body? Did he have a soul? Did he have a conscience? Did he have a flesh? The flesh is the natural bent to sin. Well, how do you get a flesh? It's passed down through the what? Through the, from Adam... Two offspring, a, and that comes through the who? The man, the seed, right? Was Jesus born of a man? Oh, he was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ did not have a flesh. So how is Satan going to get Jesus to sin if he doesn't have a natural bent to sin? Tricky. Because, see, the plan is not to get Jesus to lie or to steal or to cheat or to lust is to get Jesus to go contrary to the Father. Listen, anything wrong with making a... Could Jesus say, ah, this is a stone, I'll make it bread. Was that sin? No, I mean, is it sin to make a rock bread if you're Jesus? You say, no, unless it's contrary to the will of the Father, right? Is eating an apple... Sin. Only if it's and what did God say? Do not. I mean, I'm not saying that. I made that up because we don't know what fruit it was. I think it's a banana. But anyway, it doesn't make any difference. We don't know what it was. But the point was, it wasn't that it was an apple or a banana or a grape. The point was, don't eat it because He said not eat it. Okay. So when we get to the Satan's plan, Satan's plan is for Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. That's what we got. So this is the plan. The plan is to cause Jesus to go different than what the Father has for him to do. When Jesus came to the world, what does he say? I have come to do the will of the Father. That's why he came. That's why he came. So let's think about it. Um, Matthew 4, look at what it says. And this is after his what? Baptism. Okay, I want you to think about this. Jesus has, has appeared. You can't tell this from Matthew. We're going to get into this a little bit later on when we study on Sunday morning. But Jesus, start, Jesus starts his ministry. John the Baptist has all these people following him. He's been baptizing people. He's been telling them the Lamb is coming. And one day, Jesus comes out and, and uh, he gets baptized by John. Now, we're going to see that after that, he went right into the wilderness to get tested. Do you know what happened after that? He comes back, and he's just going around doing things. And John the Baptist is standing there with his guys, and one day Jesus goes by, and John goes, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John one twenty nine. 
And some of those guys went, who did you just say? He said, that's, that's the Messiah right there. And the next day, he sees him come by again, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And a couple of the guys followed Jesus. And as Jesus was walking, he looked and he saw, and he went, he stopped and he said, what do y'all want? And they didn't know what to say, so they said, where do you live? And he said, come and see. And they came, and then they went and found some other people. And so he begins to have these guys, okay? And they're beginning to follow him. And this is all after this. And then in Matthew, you can't tell all of this because all you see is he goes out and he gets baptized. Then he goes and he does the temptation. Then he comes back and it says, after John was put into prison. Do you, if you remember, we're going to see it in the Gospel of Matthew. It says Jesus walking by the sea and he sees Peter and James and he goes, hey, you guys, come on. Or Peter and Andrew, and he says, hey, come on, I'll make you fishers of men. And they go, okay, and they just stop. And then he goes by and sees James and John and says, hey, come on, I'll make you fishers of men. And they go, okay. And people read that, and they go, golly, these guys were just working, and all of a sudden Jesus walks up, and he just looks at them, and they go, okay, we'll follow this man. We don't even know him. They've been with him. They've already spent time at his house. They've seen him as the Lamb of God. They've already seen him change the water to wine. So when we read Matthew, when we get to that part where he just names those guys and they start following him. I'm going to make sure the people on Sunday morning realize that he didn't just walk by, look at a couple of guys and say, come follow me. And they go, we don't know who this guy is, but we're going to follow him. They've been with him. They've already seen him do miracles. So we're seeing the very beginning. And Jesus came to be identified after his baptism that was to identify with mankind. Now, what does it say? He was led by the what? Spirit into the where? The wilderness. Now think about it. The wilderness. Let me show you something. That's Nazareth. This is Cana. This is Capernaum. Jesus has been up here in Nazareth. He comes down to Jerusalem. And he goes out in the wilderness where John is. Where at baptizing at the Jordan River. That's Jordan River. That's the Dead Sea. That's Sea of Galilee. And he comes out there. And he gets baptized. And then he goes back up here. And these guys are all up in here. And they've been down here and they followed Jesus around. And they watched him do a we the wedding at Cana of Galilee and change the water to wine. And then they go back fishing. And one day he shows up and says, follow me. And that starts the ministry. So, it, you know, it's just amazing what happens. Now, why did, Je why did the Holy Spirit take Jesus into the wilderness. To be what? Tempted by the devil. There it is. To be tempted by the devil. Now we've seen in this passage. There's three titles of the devil. If you want to see it. Three different titles. In verse 1. What's he called? The devil. What does the word devil mean? Do you remember? It means a slanderer. It means a liar. It means an accuser. One who slanders us. He says things about us that aren't true. You know we get real mad when somebody else slanders us. But he does it all the time. In verse 3, what's he called? The tempter. What does he do? He wants you to do what? To, be, to do wrong. That's what temptation is. Temptation is to go contrary to the truth, contrary to what God has for you. What's he called in verse 10? What? Satan. What does Satan mean? It means adversary. Adversary. So in this passage, he's called the devil, he's called the tempter, and he's called Satan. And so I just, as you think about that, that's what he does to us. He's the devil because he slanders us. He's the tempter because he wants us to do wrong. He's the, the roar, roaring lion. He's the adversary. He's all of those things. So the top of the next page, we're now going to see Satan's plan. And watch what happens. After he had fasted, verse 4, after he had, and we saw this from last Sunday. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. I think I'd have been hungry after three days, right? Three days, two days. You know, I'm hungry after about 15 minutes. And, uh, I mean, I can eat and then I can go, I wonder if there's any dessert. I wonder if there's any of this. And your stomach is full, but you're going hungry. Jesus went, what? 40 days and 40 nights. You know, I talked about it Sunday, but 40 is always some kind of testing period in the Bible. How many days did they spy out the land when they sent up the 12 spies? 40 days. How many years did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. How many days did Goliath challenge the nation of Israel? 40 days. How many days did it rain in the flood? 40 days. And 40, you know, so 40 is all throughout the Bible. It's always a testing thing. And so now Jesus is not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, and he became hungry. 
So now we're going to see Satan's plan. We've talked about this, so you know this, but let's talk about it. And if there's any more details or anything we want to bring up, bring it up. Look at the first temptation. Now remember, the whole point is to get Jesus to go contrary to the Father's will. Look at verse 3. Then the tempter came and said to him, said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now we talked about it Sunday, if. If what? If and it's true. This is a first class if in the Greek, which means if and it's true. There's a second class if that means if and it's not true. There's a third class if in the Greek, which is maybe, maybe not. We use it all the time. If it, if it doesn't rain, we'll have a picnic. We don't know if it's going to maybe not. But this, this is a first class, which implies that the person saying it is implying that it's true. If you are the what? Son of God. If and it's true. He's not saying if, maybe you are, maybe you're not. He's saying if and it's true, you are the Son of God. He's basically saying if you're the Son of God, then here's what I would like for you to do. If you're the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Command them. See, he didn't say just make them. He said command them. He's saying, you got authority? Let me see your authority. Let me see you do something. And the bottom line is that, that he's saying, you need to eat. You haven't eaten what? 40 days, 40 nights. You're, I know you're hungry. You've got the authority. Why don't you just get something to eat? Who, who said you can't get something to eat? Who said your needs shouldn't be met? It's the same thing Satan said to Eve. What did he say? Who said you can't eat from all the trees? God said you can't eat from all the trees. Satan could have said, has God said you can't eat from any of the food out here that you can't take some stone and make it bread? Has God said that? Your, your knees, your God, you can, make, you can make bread right there. Satan will always want us to do our will rather than the will of the Father. That's what, that's what this, this first test is. He's really saying, go take care of yourself. You need something to eat? You can take a piece of, you can take a stone and make it bread. So you don't have to wait on anybody. You don't have to wait on the Father giving you something to eat. You know what this means for us? We're going to have to trust Him to meet our needs at exactly the right time. Have you ever said, oh Lord, I need this, I need this. Why don't you answer this? I need this, I need this. Have you ever done that? Who hadn't done that? We've all done that. But you know what God says? I need them at exactly the right time. Just remember that. You've got to trust me. What did Jesus say? Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I'm pretty hungry. And, you know, he hadn't showed up. And, you know, I can do anything. if I, I can make that stone bread if I want it. But that's not what Jesus said. Look what he did. Look at verse 4. He answered and said, it is what? Written. Written where? Deuteronomy. He goes back to Deuteronomy. How many of y'all studied Deuteronomy? We go, well, I mean, I've read through it. How many, would we have quoted Deuteronomy? Most likely we would have said, is that one of the first five? You know? And so look, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the Father. Here is the response. What's the response? The word of God. How do you respond when the temptation comes? Where do you go? The word of God. Listen, Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why do we hide God's word in our heart? Why do we memorize it? Why do we know it? Why do we know the truths and principles? Why do we know? Why did Jesus know Deuteronomy 8.3? You know why he knew it? First of all, he wrote it. He wrote it. And he knew it. And he used it. And his point was this. Listen, I'm, man shall not live on bread alone. I don't need the physical bread. I need the word of God. And whatever God tells me to do, the Father tells me to do, that's what I do. We obey God. Trust God to meet our needs. He could say this. The Father brought me out here. If he wants me to have food, he'll give me food. I'm not doing my own thing. You know what Satan wants you to do? Your own thing. He wants you to go contrary to the Bible. He wants you to go contrary to the truths and the principles from the Bible. That's what he wants. And he wants you to go contrary to the Father. And so this very first thing is we must trust God to provide for our needs in the way that he wants to provide. And so often, so often we, we say, I need this, or God should have done this. Why isn't he doing this? Why didn't this happen here? Why can't I have this? We're just going to have to trust him, right? Because he knows what's best. 
So the response is the word of God, obey God, trust God to supply our needs. Okay, you got it? Are we good? Okay, so Jesus did real good on that. Well, let's get the second one. So then, verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he, and he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now the devil actually takes Jesus to a high place. We'll talk more about it in a second. And he says, why don't you just jump off his high place, because the Bible says that angels will keep you from hurting your foot when you land. That's the plan. Well, so let's think about what he said. He said, jump off the temple, right? We talked about it Sunday morning. The pinnacle of the temple is not, uh, the, the temple is like this. Here's the holy place. And then there was a lever out front. Then there was all these things that Solomon and those people had built. And there's a big wall around the temple. This is called the naos. And that's the holy place. Okay. And this is called the heron, which is the temple walls. The pinnacle of the temple was a place right here that all, it went 450 feet to the ground. So this was like on the top of a mountain. And there was a section here that was, if you, if you jumped off, it would be 450 feet. I mean, it's a long way down. And so he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. That's what the pinnacle of the temple is. It's that place. And he actually says to him, why don't you jump off? Look what he says. If you're, if you're the son of God, first class F. So what is he saying? Since, if it is true, you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Just jump off the top. I mean, think about this. Jump off the top. There's all kind of people down there. Just jump off the top. Why? Because he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. By the way, he misquoted it, and he left out part of the verse. That's what devil always does. He always misquotes, and he always lies. So this is not accurate. Jesus knew that. He said, jump off. Now, why in the world would it be good, from Satan's view, that Jesus jump off? Well, first of all, number one, that if you fall 450 feet and you don't get hurt, you can say to everybody, boom. Whew, see, I'm the Messiah. I just jumped off the thing 450 feet high, landed on the ground, didn't hurt me a bit. I'm the Messiah. That's what he's saying. If you're the Son of God, just jump off. Everybody will see that you're the Messiah. Right? There was a second thing also that tradition said the Messiah would suddenly appear. And so he's saying, if you jump off the top of the temple part and land on the ground and everybody sees it, you're suddenly appearing and everybody will go, oh, he must be the Messiah. So Satan's saying, don't you want everybody to know that you're Messiah? Isn't that the reason you came? Didn't you come that everybody might see who you are? So isn't this a great opportunity? Just jump off. You won't get hurt. And everybody will say, gee, you're the Messiah. Wait, let me ask you something. Do, do you think that God wanted his son to be known as the Messiah because he jumped off a building and didn't get hurt? I mean, think how stupid that is. How did God want people to know that Jesus was the Messiah? Hmm? Well, that, that's the ultimate one, wasn't it? That he died and rose again. There are 35 miracles recorded in the four Gospels. The Gospel of John says... There are many signs that Jesus did, but these signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you might have life in his name. John gave seven particular signs. So how were people supposed to know that Jesus was the Messiah? Huh? By the what? By the signs, exactly. Not by jumping off a building, Right? To understand that he's wanting Jesus to do what? Go contrary. contrary to the Father. That's the plan. So jump off and Jesus would be seen as the Messiah. So how did Jesus respond? Look at the verse. Then Jesus said to him, on the other hand, he quoted the Bible. So he said, well now, on the other hand, it is written, this is once again Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Not put God to the test test that's exactly he says we don't have to do that it's not god's time listen if god wants me to be known as the messiah it's not because i jumped off a building now think about that think about what he did one of the greatest things that he did was he raised who lazarus from the dead and many people believed in his name because they saw lazarus being raised from the dead 
That was one of the signs. It wasn't jumping off a building. So Satan's saying, hey, well, you, can, you can do this. You can jump off a building and then you'll look really good like the Messiah. No. And Jesus basically says he's going to trust God in the right time and the right way. And that's what we got to do. I know a person one time that said to me, they, they were a Christian and they were, they were wanting to get married. In fact, I'll just be honest with you, they were desperate to get married. They just were lonely, and they thought they needed to get married, and they found this guy that they started dating, and the guy wasn't a Christian. And they actually came to me, and she came to me by herself and said, he's not a Christian, but I really think he's the one I'm supposed to marry. And I said, I don't think so. And she was so desperate that she couldn't wait for God to do the right time in the right way. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we, we go contrary. We've got to trust him. Don't put him to the test. Just say, Lord, in your timing, in your way. And now we go to the third one. The third one is really the big one. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. Now think about that. The kingdoms of the world and their glory. This world is amazing, isn't it? I mean, even in its fallen state, is the world amazing? I mean, how many saw the, sun, the moon come up last night? Anybody see it? Was that beautiful? It was unbelievable. Like, I think it was about that big, you know. And uh, at least that looked like it out of my car when I was driving toward it. I kept trying to catch it. I, I never could catch it. I don't know. I kept driving. I said, well, surely it's right there. I should be able to get to it. But the bottom line is the, it's a beautiful world. And the kingdoms of the world are beautiful. And ruling the world would be fantastic. Well, Satan wanted to do it, right? And so he says, look at all the kings of the world. And then he said to him, now this is what's amazing. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So the third aspect is to what? I will give you the world if you what? Worship me. Now, let me, let me, let me start with this first question. Does Satan have the right to give Jesus this world? Yes, he does. Because who, who rules the world? Who's the prince of the... Second Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2. He's the God of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is, he is the, the ruler of the cosmos, right? He's the ruler of the aeon, which means the philosophy. and the. So he's the ruler. And he's actually saying to Jesus, right now, I will give all this to you if you'll do what? And by the way, that's an if, isn't it? If you fall down and worship me, what if you think that is? You think it's if and it's true? No, it's actually a third class. If, maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's what it says. Now, Satan has a plan. He wants Jesus to be the king without going to the what? The cross. See, the cross must come before the crown. Has to. Has to. Jesus has to die before he reigns. There's no doubt about it. Has to. That's the only way it will work. Let me show you something. Y'all know this, right? Y'all know this? This is the church, right? And this is what? The rapture. And this is the tribulation. And this is the second coming. And this is the kingdom, right? Thousand year reign. And this is the great white throne judgment. And this is the eternal state, right? This is the second coming. This is when he comes to what? To rule. That's the king. What's the first coming? To, to, why? To die. You, you have to take the cross before you can take the crown. Right? You can't. You, if he said, you can have this world and be the king and Jesus never dies, what happens? We have no salvation. See, this is, this is the temptation to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus knows he's the what? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who he is. He knows he's a descendant of David. He calls himself the son of David. He knows he's going to be the king of the world. And Satan says, you can be the king of the world right now. You don't have to die. You don't have to be separated from the Father. You don't have to go through all of that stuff. You can be the king of the world right now. All you have to do is do what? Worship me. So what does Jesus say? Verse 10, then Satan said, go. Actually, some translations say, be gone. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, Deuteronomy again, you shall worship the Lord your God and what? Listen, please understand that worship and service go together. 
worship and serve. How many people say, I come on Sunday morning to worship Jesus but never serve him at all? Think about it. Jesus must reign. This is what Satan's temptation was. Jesus, you can reign without dying. You can reign without suffering. But the cross must come before the crown. So when you think about this, I've got three areas, okay? The three things just to think about. Number one is we, uh, this is, do you see where we are? No, We're right there. We're right there. Well, there's, yeah, this is the cross comes before the, so, somebody got to help Susie. Yeah, yeah, I said, okay. I need all the help. Yes, question. Yeah, is there a, something wrong? Yeah. yeah, oh, wait a minute. That, did I just say, I probably said it wrong. Uh, where does it say that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, 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 crown before the cross. Yeah, that's Satan's plan right there, the crown before the cross. Don't y'all know what I'm thinking? <laughs> yeah, so it's supposed to say crown before the cross, and then bottom line, worship God, and then the cross must come before the crown. It down in verse 10 where it says the word of God in his response. So, yeah, I, I may have said it wrong when I was just teaching through that because I wasn't looking at that. But, yeah. Huh? Okay, right here, crown before the cross. This says the cross must come before the crown. Well, one, one, one of them was showing Satan's plan. Crown before the cross. But the real plan was the cross has to come before the crown. Does that make sense? Y'all got it? Okay. Okay, where it says at the top of page five, three different areas. First one is we got to obey the Bible rather than our desires. We have to obey the Bible rather than our desires, right? Because he said, Jesus, if you want to, uh, get your own bread. Get your bread. But Jesus said, no, we, we've got to depend on God to meet our needs. Obey God rather than our own desires. Okay? Number two, don't put God to the test. Trust his timing. Don't put God to the test. Trust his timing. Because what was the test there? Jump off and everybody see you the Messiah. He says, no, 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 I've got to go. It's a different way. I, I'm not, I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm going to work his timing out. He's going to show that I'm the Messiah in the right way at the right time. Number three, worship and serve God. Worship and serve God. Now I want you to think about this because I didn't go over this. I just want you to think about this for a second. If Jesus had to suffer and then reign, will we? Will most of us reign? Well, are we supposed to reign with Him? What is the plan? What is the plan for us? To rule with Him, right? What do we have to do? Can we? Can we reign now? What do you have to do before you reign? Well. Okay, and let's do it this way. Let me ask you a question. If you don't serve him, will you reign? No, you won't. The reigning has nothing to... Reigning is not salvation. Reigning is rewards. And if he says, what? Well done. You're going to get to reign, and that's the rewards. But if you don't serve him now... You won't hear well done and you won't rule. It's just like Jesus had to suffer first and then be king. Couldn't be the king first. We can't say, I'm going to rule with him unless we do what? Serve him now. You have to serve him now. Listen, we got to get to a point. And I'm just thinking about this a lot. We got to get to the point where we, we stop playing a game and realizing that this whole world is going away there are people who do not know Jesus. There are people who are not growing as Christians. And we've got to make a decision. We who say, look, we, we're going to come on a Wednesday night and sit by this stuff for a whole hour. We've got to make a decision that we're going to decide that our lives are going to count for Christ. And we're going to serve him. And we're going to serve him now because we want to hear him say, well done, and rule with him later. And that we've got to impact our world and our community for Christ. You've got to do it. There's nobody else to do it. 
The believers are the ones that's going to change the world, and we change it a person at a time. It's not a political aspect. It's a spiritual aspect that we decide that we're going to live for Christ and that we're going to talk to people about Christ and we're going to lead people to Christ and then we're going to know enough of the Bible to help train them to be able to do the same thing. It's called making disciples. That's what we got to do. And so in all these temptations, we got to trust God to meet our needs. We got to trust Him for His timing and we got to worship Him and serve Him now so that we can rule with Him later. Okay, cross before the crown, not crown before the cross. That's the key. Okay, you ready? Now, let's talk about us for a minute because Satan attacks mankind. And there's two things. There's, first of all, the unbeliever. Just write in unbeliever. And simply put, bottom, you can put underneath it, believer. What's the plan for the unbeliever? Put it out beside it. What's the plan? Keep them from what? Trusting Christ. That's his plan. We're going to talk more about details and probably next week. He doesn't care if they're religious. In fact, he'd rather have people religious. You understand that? There are people in our town that go to church every Sunday. And I'm going to say it. In a, well, I'm going to say it. And they're going to hell. They think by going to church, they think because they got baptized when they were a baby, or they think they got baptized when they were 12 years old, or they think because they've tried to keep the Ten Commandments, or they think because they hadn't missed Sunday school in 22 years, they think that's made them okay with God. It's the same way the religious leaders, when they came out to John, and remember what he said to them? They said, do you think because you're, you think you're, you're a child of God because you're a descendant of Abraham? God can make descendants of Abraham all the time he wants to. And just because people go to church, just because people are religious, has nothing to do with their eternal life salvation. And it's everywhere. And all he's got to do is just the, that lie of the devil, do good and God will love you. And that has lied and fooled so many people for so many years. The second thing is for the believer, it's just to keep us from serving. Keep us from serving. So he doesn't want you ruling. It's too late. You're already saved. Now he says, well, I just got to keep them from serving so they'll never rule. They'll never rule. And if they don't serve, nobody else is going to know. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, other people aren't going to ever find out the message, and I'll keep them all in the dark. I'll keep them all thinking religion is okay, and they'll be fine. The unbelievers will never hear, and the believers won't ever serve so that the unbelievers won't ever hear. That's what it is. That's his plan for a believer and unbeliever. So let's look quickly at a passage you already know. Many of you, if you've ever been through the 2-2, we talked about this in much more detail than we'll talk about it tonight. But go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Just flip all the way back to the front to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see what he did with us and what he does with us every day, all the time. Any questions, comments, input? Yeah. Do what? Are you recording? Of course, we're recording everything. I I'm not really with you tonight. Oh, I'm not really with me either. <laughs> no, I. I need to listen to the lesson. Yeah, that, and that's okay. But y'all do know we record every one. They're on there. If you were to miss a lesson, you can always listen to it. You can go on any time, listen to them, slow it down if you want to, go back, and, and all that kind of stuff, okay? So let's look at Genesis, the fall of man. Genesis 3. The fall of man, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Look what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Who is the serpent? Now what is he, ta what is, what is he talking about? I mean, this is the Garden of Eden. What's the plan? What did God say? You can eat from all the trees except one. What is it? Tree of knowledge of... Good and evil, right and wrong. This is the tree in which you learn what? Right from wrong. How do you learn right from wrong by that tree? If you don't eat from the tree, you did what? Right. If you eat from the tree, you did wrong. This is how you learn right from wrong, right? If I said, don't come touch this thing up here, that's the only thing that's wrong. If you go touch it, you did wrong. You learn right from wrong by doing wrong. If you don't go touch it, you, didn't, you did learn right from wrong by doing right. The plan was, don't eat from the tree. So look what happens. The serpent. Now, serpent was a snake, right? Sure. Serpent is a snake. Right? But what does it look like? 
We don't know, right? But it's still a serpent, isn't it? Didn't it say serpent? Yeah. Okay, so we, we, we don't say that it wasn't a snake. We say it was a serpent that was a snake, but we don't know what it looked like. And it may have had hands, or it probably had hands, legs. Who knows, who knows what it looked like? And the thing that always amazes me is notice what it says. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And she said to the serpent, How can you talk? Is that what she said? No. Don't you think it's strange that, that she didn't say, How do you, how do you talk? Do you, could animals maybe have talked before the fall? Or could they possibly have? I mean... Uh, Lassie always told him stuff, right? I mean, so, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. All I know is that she seemed to be surprised that he speaks to her. She doesn't. But look what he says. He says, has God said that you shall not eat from any of the tree of the garden? This is the question. Can you eat? Can you eat from the tree of the garden? What did God said? He said you can eat from all the trees except this one. Now, he told Adam, he said, don't eat. She wasn't there. You know where she was? She was his rib. Yeah. He made her. And then what I think Adam said was, don't eat. Don't touch it. Don't even touch it. Don't even, t- don't even go over it. See that tree over there? Don't even go over there. Don't even go over there. Don't even touch it. Don't touch it. Why? How do we know that? Look what she says. The woman said to the servant, From the trees, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may re-eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it. Or touch it or you'll die. So who told her not to touch it? I bet you Adam did. Because God didn't tell Adam not to touch it. God said to Adam, Don't eat from the tree. You can eat from all the other trees. I imagine he said to her, Hey, honey, let's be real careful. Don't even get over there and touch that thing. Okay? Why did he go to her and throw it out? Who? Well, I, because... <laughs> because it says that she was fooled. She was tricked. And he goes to her. And by the way, Adam is, is right there. We'll t- see it in just a minute. And we'll see it more in detail. But Adam is not way off in the woods somewhere. Yeah, he's right there. And Satan comes to her. And look what he says. As God said, you can't eat. And she said, well, from the tree, of the, you know, all the trees we can eat. But, <coughs> but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, can't eat from it or touch it or you'll die. They already know that they'll die. And the die there is what kind of die? There's a spiritual death, which happens immediately. And then there's a physical death, which comes later. That's why he says, die and you shall surely die. And the Hebrew says, die and you shall surely die. It's two dyings there. Okay. And so she basically says, we, we can't do that because we'll die. So what does Satan do? Look what he says. Remember John 8.44, Satan is a what? Does anybody remember John 8.44? He is a liar. Watch what he says. The serpent said to the woman, what? You surely will not die. Who said, who said they would die? God. So who are they calling a liar? Who's he calling a liar? He's calling God a liar. Same state, same you shall not die. You will be what? Like God. That's what he says. You will be like God knowing even good and evil. Let me ask you a question. Does God know good and evil? When they ate that tree, did they know good and evil? So they're like God knowing good and evil, right? But she thought he was going to be what? Like God. And let me just tell you. Here's, here's the thing I want you to see. At the top of the next page, it will end because it's right on the time. There's two things that God wanted to do, uh, that Satan wanted to do with the woman. And by the way, and we'll get to this, but what's going to happen is Satan says, you won't die and all this stuff. And so she sees it looks good, looks good for food. She takes it. She eats and gives to Adam. He's right beside her. What he should have done was this. Excuse me. Uh, if you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to me, and I don't think the best. Th- I think the best thing for you to do is get out of here, because we already know that we're not supposed to touch this tree. We're not supposed to eat from this tree. You're bothering my wife, and the best thing for you to do is to get out of here right now. That's what he should have done, but he's over here going, I don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know if we should. I don't. I guess we could eat it, right? Because it says she gave and gave it to him. And he has to make a decision. Obey God, obey his wife. That's why when God comes, he says, because you have listened to your wife instead of me. 
because he already told him what to do. He, he should have said, no, 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 you can eat it. Now, I may end up with another woman, but if we keep this thing going, right? If you eat it, I'm out. You know, I'm not touching it, right? But I want you to understand two things he does. He wants them to doubt God's love. See, if God really loved you, he'd let you eat every tree. If God really loved you, he'd let you do anything you want to do. If God really loved you, he would let you have this and have this. See, God is actually holding things back. He's holding things back. If he really loved you, you would be happier. If you really loved you, you'd have money. If, you really, if God really loved you, he would let you marry somebody if you're single. If God really loved you, he would give you this. If God really loved you, you... And see, that's the lie of the devil. God loves you to the maximum. Satan wants you to believe that God doesn't love you. The second one, he wanted him to doubt God's word. What did he say? You shall surely not die. God's word is not true. This is just me saying this on this tape. This is not, don't take this out of context. Some people say that you, can, you can't trust this. You know, uh, it's good over here, but it's not good over here. I've had people come to me and say, I believe this part about Jesus, but I don't believe this part about Jonah. I don't believe this part about Egypt. And I go, so how do you know which one's true? And then so you become the judge of the Bible rather than the Bible becoming the judge of you. And, and people say, well, you know, there's a lot of errors in the Bible. I always want to say to them, show me one. Show me one. Give me, go ahead and give me one. Give me one. Show me. Find me one. And they go, well, I've heard there are a lot of errors in the Bible. I said, well, just find me one. Since you know them, tell me about it. Find me one. And so he wants you to believe that this isn't accurate. And he wants you to believe that when you go contrary to the Bible, it really won't hurt you. Because first of all, God doesn't love you, and God's a liar. And if he says, don't do this, he just wants to stop you from having fun. Right, yeah. He, he wants you to not fulfill your, to fulfill your desires. You have desires. We call it the lust of the flesh. And, and, he, and, and I, I have the right to fulfill those desires. And God really, if God really loved me, he would let me fulfill those desires. And God says that if you do that, it's going to be bad for you. Well, that's not true. It won't be bad for you. You can do it and get away with it. Right? That's what he says. He wants you to believe this. It's never true. He is a liar. Sin will destroy you. You live out the lust of your flesh, you will die. You will die. You'll die physically even. How many people do you know drank themselves to death? How many people do you know that done all kind of things and end up dying? Well, she gave to Adam, he ate, they rebelled, they lost fellowship. So the, the plan is his plan is to move man from a relationship with God. And, and that was his plan. He wanted to doubt God's love. He wanted to doubt God's word. But God in his grace and mercy provides a way. Because he came, God came right after this. What, what did Satan, let, let me answer this real quickly. I know we got, the time's up. What did Adam and he do right after they ate the fruit? Okay, and, and, and they noticed what? They went, oh, whoo, mamma mia. And you know what? They were embarrassed. There was shame. See, there's shame and separation. Anytime there's sin. Anytime there's sin, there's shame and separation. And so there was shame with each other and a separation from God. And he came looking for him. Man didn't go looking for God. God comes looking for man. You didn't go looking for God. God came looking for you. God so loved the world, he gave his son. God sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. You weren't looking for God. God's looking for you. God so loved you, he provided a way to save you. Just remember that. Man is moving away from God, and God is bringing man back to himself. story of the Bible is how the perfect God does what? Brings man back to himself, not himself back to man. So just remember that. Let me give you some applications. Number one, understand Satan tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Understand Satan tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Okay? To the cross. Number two, three times in the wilderness, Satan wanted Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. So just say three times in the wilderness, Satan wanted Jesus to go contrary to the to the Father. That's what it, that was the plan. Do something contrary to what God the Father had said. So three times in the wilderness, Satan wanted Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. You can write it whatever words you want to write it in, but that's bottom line. Here's the key, number three. 
Jesus used the word of God to withstand temptation. Jesus used the word of God to withstand temptation. Wow. What, what should we use? Word of God. We might even have to use Deuteronomy sometime. Right? Number four. Satan wants man to doubt God's love and doubt God's word. Satan wants man to doubt God's love and to doubt God's word. And that's what he does with both unbelievers and believers. To doubt God's word and to doubt God's love. 